0: This creature from the dirt defied the everlasting holy God. God, for the glory of his name, is reconciling and reclaiming all things to himself. He's just yearning for you. He's longing for you. He wants friendship and relationship with you. He needs you. Oh, you're breaking his heart. No, he's going to break you. Self esteem that is a satanic idea. You're not as important as you think you are. This, like when you say, I I just can't believe in a God that would, you realize it doesn't matter. You don't get to define God. This is what's wrong with the Christian church today. We don't know who God is. Give us a man who know the truth. One man, Jew and Gentile, bond and free. One, there is no race in Christ Jesus. Oh, how a man needs to Your God, that that man might cling to his word. Give us some preachers who aren't tripping over their skirt to get into the pulpit. What's wrong with you people? Hey everybody, welcome to Matter of Theology. Uh, We are so glad that you could join us today, and as we uh, move forward uh, after an extensive uh, month of October talking about the Protestant Reformation, we uh, decided that it would be a a great idea to dive into Romans chapter 11. Now, some of you may be saying, well, wait, 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 you guys just did Romans 1. And now you're gonna jump ahead ten chapters and do Romans 11, um, and uh, and the answer to that question is yes. Uh, the reason uh, that we uh, chose to do this is uh, uh, just in, in conversations between uh, between us and and talking through what the what the Lord is doing in our lives, and uh, the, the the topic of Romans 11 has come up a few times. Uh, I've had multiple people say to me throughout the years, um, and and AG as well, uh, what do you do with Romans 11? And uh, and so it's one of those things that we, uh, um, you know, something we've been talking about doing. So we said, you know what, let's let's figure out what to do with Romans 11, and let's start studying it and see uh, see what happens. And I can tell you, just from from me personally, none of the other guys are here today, but that Romans 11 is absolutely uh, amazing chapter of scripture uh, and uh, you know Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, the doctor uh, he, he calls this chapter of scripture one of the, the great and notable chapters in the whole of the Bible and, and then he goes on to say however uh, how great it truly is is only discovered when you study it in full detail and I agree with him uh, that that is absolutely absolutely the case, um, and, and so how how do we how do we approach this chapter or or any other chapter in the whole of Scripture? Well, we first have to remember that God is a God who is uh, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, and can be trusted. in every word out of His precious Word can be trusted. He has shown himself faithful. Uh, and I will not get into, uh, this in detail, but the whole of scripture walks through and shows him and his word and promises never failing and absolutely faithful. So we approach this chapter with a spirit of reverence and humility, understanding that we, uh, are not to, um, go to the, the, the book of scripture uh, and try to twist it in any way, shape, or form to suit our own carnal uh, passions or desires. We are to go to it with a spirit of reverence and humility, especially passages that uh, deal with confusion or controversy uh, or uh, something that may be unclear to us. Uh, any, any topics of difficult doctrine have to be approached in that way. So the goal can't be to gather knowledge so that you can point your finger and go, see, I was right, you were wrong, I was right, you were wrong. That's not the goal. The goal is not to prove ourselves right and others wrong. And we also need to take into account and remember that when it comes to doctrines that we find in Scripture, if we find a particular doctrine in only one place in the whole of Scripture, And it's based on something that we came up with or don't understand that we need to try again. We need to go back uh, and continue to search and to plumb the whole of Scripture, remembering that we will never master it. And we don't stand on it. We stand under it. So uh, the great Puritan writer, Thomas Watson, he reminds us in A Body of Divinity, that precious, precious book. He says, that we uh, need to remember that Scripture is what interprets Scripture as a diamond can only be cut by another diamond. So one of the big controversies that you do find in Romans 11, um, really really in, in that section of Scripture in chapters 9 through 11, which in studying Romans 11, you cannot divorce it from chapters 9 or 10 or any other section of Scripture really, but Romans 9 through 11 need to be taken together, uh, and it really does concern the, the present situation at the time and the future situation of the nation Israel, God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. Um, and so to, to just kind of start uh, us down that road, we need to remember um, that, that God has a remnant, God has his sovereign elect. There are so many people that I know personally, but so many people in this world and in our country that have a big problem with the doctrine of election and predestination. Uh, and, And the ultimate response is really they have a problem with God and they have a problem with his word. Someone just sneezed at work. See, see, this is happening in real time, folks. So, uh, just wanted to kind of dive in and, uh, just really go ahead and just give like a 35,000 foot view of where we are in Romans up to, up to chapter 11 and to go ahead and, uh, and then just tackle that question of, uh, will all of Israel, physical Israel be saved? And we can go ahead and answer that question according to what we find in the book of Romans with a resounding no. All of physical Israel will not be saved. And one of the places that we see that, uh, we just did Romans 1 on the podcast, but you see that in Romans 2. Romans 2 speaks is, uh, Paul specifically gets into the fact that God, uh, that there is no partiality with God, that every soul, uh, in ch- chapter two, verse nine, there'll be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first, and also to the Greek, you know, each person, uh, according to their deeds will be judged. Um, and, uh, and, and Paul is, and, and, and the Bible is absolutely clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 2.12, for all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So the the answer to that question is there's none righteous, not even one. Romans 3.10. And, and uh, there, there's no one who understands. There's none who seeks God. All have turned aside. None. There's not even one that does good. And Paul gets into an extensive, extensive list about, about uh, what our throats and tongues and lips and uh, our feet and our, the whole of our body, uh, what we do because of the sin nature. And then, of course, uh, that reminder that because we have all fallen uh, and because we don't meet God's righteous uh, perfection needed to have relationship with him, that there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who can apart from divine intervention. So the text is crystal clear, even without really diving into an extensive, extensive exposition, which we may do at some point. Uh, but, uh, there are many other, uh, Bible studies and expositions you could, you could look for. One of which I recommend, and I know A.G. does as well, is the men's Bible study with Dr. Stephen J. Lawson. So that being said, all of ethnic Israel will not be saved, but only the chosen remnant. And that remnant will be saved just like the rest of us by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone based on Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. So, uh, one of the great passages in the Old Testament uh, that also does deal with this question of, uh, of of what will happen and what has happened to uh, the nation Israel is Isaiah 53. Uh, this is uh, often referred to as the first gospel, really is the first gospel, and... Uh, Isaiah 53 is a prophecy written centuries before Christ, but it's written from the vantage point of that chosen remnant of Israel, God's chosen people in the millennial kingdom, looking back to what Christ has done. And yes, that is mind-blowing. But uh, Isaiah 53 is an absolutely beautiful uh, and humbling and uh, emotional section of scripture to read, but it details out in the Old Testament what would happen to the exalted, silent, and suffering servant of God, Jesus Christ. And uh, it starts out with the question of, of who has believed our message. Paul quotes this numerous times in scripture, but specifically in chapter 10, verse 16. And, and whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up Before him, like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. So a couple of things, uh, just just real quick, with this with this chapter of scripture, um, you know, verse two says uh, a shoot, that, that that's a water spout. Uh, I, I mean, when you dig into this uh, from studying the original Hebrew, uh, basically what this means is that that to Jesus, to the Israelites, to uh, the Jews of the day, not all of them, he was useless. He was unwanted. There was nothing impressive about him. He was, verse three says, despised. Now, what that literally translates into is, is he was there was disdain. There was there was absolute just contempt, vile contempt for him. And so he yes became that man of sorrows. It was, there was not necessarily and an, obviously physically yes, but sorrow of heart. I mean, it was unspeakable torment. And and who did this? Now, ultimately, Christ paid the penalty for all of our sins. But who physically did this was the nation Israel and the Jews. So w- we have to remember that. And of course, again, I, I reference this because just like I said before, we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. Um, so... That being said, even, even though, uh, Israel, the Jews and the nation Israel, even though they, they rebelled and rejected Christ, we, we have to remember, and we have to know this truth that God is not finished with the nation Israel either. He can't be there. There were, and there are specific promises concerning his chosen people. So two quick observations. Number one. Uh, th- those promises in Scripture haven't been fulfilled yet, um, and uh, and if he were done with the nation Israel, then that would make God a liar, and that's not who he is. God is faithful. God is truth. So if he were if he were done with them his word would be false. We also know that is not true because God is not a liar. Uh, then his word can be trusted through and through as we stated before. Um, so number two, th- those promises that concern the chosen chosen remnant those those are a uh, promises for the chosen inside the chosen. Okay, they those promises are for the elect inside the elect nation. They are unconditional, grounded wholly in our holy God. They will not fail because God will not fail. So, that being said, let's take a look at what Paul um, has addressed up to up to Romans eleven through the book of Romans. And so, uh, again, we've looked at Romans one in detail. And, uh, and I know, you know, some of you guys may be thinking as you're listening to this, like, man, it took you guys a while to get through Romans one. Well, there were some scheduling conflicts and we didn't get to it obviously as quickly as we wanted to. We did finish it obviously. Um, but we will get through Romans 11, uh, and as, as this, this is our sole focus, um, uh, right now leading up. Uh, into the beginning of, of 2020, so um, so this is what we're what, what we're gonna do. Uh, so all right, Romans two, and we already talked about this a little bit. It's it's all about God's impartiality, the fact that the gospel is for. Uh, everyone, the Jew first and also to the Greek uh, the second part of that chapter has to do with the Jew is condemned by the law. Um, and of course the, the the Jews are trying to earn their salvation. they're they're trying to uh, continue to work for their salvation. And so Romans 1 through 320 is actually the bad news. We are all condemned without, Uh, the, the righteousness of Christ stepping in, we are all damned to hell because of our sin. Um, and, uh, that, that, that section wraps up there, uh, of course, uh, starting in verse 21 of chapter three, uh, and we all know this section, but I'm just going to read it. Uh, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. That's going to be crucial. No distinction. Remember that. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, comma, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. Wow. Right? Wow. Just take a breath. Take that in. So uh, in Romans chapter four, uh, Paul gets into uh, how justification by faith alone is evidenced in the Old Testament. He really unpacks uh, uh, Abraham the story of Abraham and how Abraham was declared righteous. Um, And, uh, and that's specifically in verse nine is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also for we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? Uh, And, and Paul walks through uh, how it was credited to him. Faith alone. Love that. Now, uh, Romans uh, Romans chapter 5, the results of and the outcome of that justification. And, of course, he starts that with the word therefore. What's the therefore? We've been justified fi- by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and uh, he walks through that. B- uh, chapter 6, believers are dead to sin but alive to God. Um. And then, uh, sorry, I got a phone call there. Uh, and then chapter seven, how we are united to Christ. And then of course the, the conflict that we all walk through of, uh, living a life for the glory of God while still, uh, being trapped in the flesh, um, is one of the best ways I've heard it put, uh, Romans eight. Oh my goodness. Romans eight, uh, One of the most comprehensive and incredible chapters in all of scripture, how we are delivered from the bondage of, of sin, how the spirit intercedes, uh, and testifies on our behalf, uh, the, our victory in Christ, um, the perseverance of the saints, um, man, yeah, I could spend a lot of time talking on that, but I've already been talking too long. Uh, and that brings us up to chapter nine. Okay? And uh, chapter 9 is the beginning of the section that we are in, of course, in studying Romans 11. So chapter nine um, really gets into some huge, huge doctrinal uh, issues, okay? So uh, this and, and this is concerning specifically the nation Israel, but of course applies to us as well. Uh, and, and some may be asking, okay, so why are we talking about this? This is about Israel. Why do we need to study this? Well, a a, a, a few things uh, about that. Remember, um, God is working all things, Romans 8. God is working all things according to his purpose and for his glory and for our joy and good. And as we just read the the nation Israel uh, and were reminded, um, uh, actually, I didn't read that, but I'm going to read it now. Romans 9, 4, and 5. Check this out. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 3. For I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the father's. And from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. God delivered the covenants through Israel. Uh, If that wasn't enough, Christ came through them. So we get 39 books of the Old Testament. We get Christ himself, um, 12 disciples. And when Christ does return, that's where he's going to return. So I said this before, the theme of chapters 9 through 11 is the present and the future condition of the Jews with, of course, the overarching, deeper, and more pressing concern of the purposes and the sovereign plans of God. And nothing can thwart them. The bottom line is this. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, quote, the purpose of God is so certain that nothing can frustrate it. R.C. Sproul, the late Dr. R.C. Sproul said, quote, God not only provides the end, but the means to the end, close quote. So God's not done with them, right? We've we've established that. Um, And uh, and, and here's a good reminder in, in verse six of chapter nine, but it is not as though the word of God has failed for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Okay, so we need to remember uh, that not all physical Israel is the actual remnant Israel. Okay, as Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, and I think I said this earlier, there's a, there's a quote, there's a literal national Israel, but there is a spiritual Israel within that larger body, close quote. And, And we'll be getting into that later in the chapter. But again, I'll say this, the purposes, and I said this before, the purposes and the promises of God found in his word will never falter and they will never fail. And so Paul gets into this. He really unpacks the doctrine of sovereign election. And and you cannot avoid this. For those who have a big issue with the doctrine of election and predestination, Romans 9 is a great place to go um you you can't avoid it god's predestining his pretemporal his omniscient predestination not meaning that he's an open theist god does not learn he is all knowing it is god's choice of who to save and who not to save and he does make that choice as hard of a pill as that is for us to swallow so anyone who is saved anyone whom god chooses to open their eyes to the wonders and the truth and the beauty of the gospel is done wholly and solely by God's sovereign choice. So this is equally, and it is emphatically shown that God is the one who saves sinners, but we are responsible for our own condemnation. Okay. And in any to drive this home, any notable qualified theologian will affirm this even though they may differ elsewhere. Martin Lloyd-Jones, again, I'm going to quote him a lot, Uh, quote, the greatest, the great principle is that God saves, but man is responsible for his own rejection. Remember Romans one? Remember that God gave them over. God handed them over. God shoved them. We're going to get into that. Um, but, but there, there is those whom God will save. So again, continuing in Romans nine, Romans nine, 16. So it, so then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So uh, chapter nine, uh, he, he walks through uh, the doctrine of election by getting into um, uh, Isaac and Ishmael and Jacob and Esau. And, uh, and then he continues to, to remind us that, uh, in salvation, we bring nothing to the table, but the sin needed to complete the equation. Uh, that's it. Um, and, um, you know, again, he, he, he just drives this home that Israel has rejected and has rebelled. So just a short reminder of that rejection reminder of that rejection you know, the Jews of the Old Testament, or the Jews at this time in the New Testament, they had the writings of Jeremiah, Isaiah, Moses. They had Scripture. They knew Scripture. And that's why Paul quotes and reminds them of that rejection and of everything that has happened and what they have done. And he he quotes from uh, from multiple points in the Old Testament. Um, they, they knew Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 33 is a great, is a great uh, uh, passage for you to check out um, as well. So, uh, but one of the things that, that just is astounding to me, and we, we've all done this, right? We, we've all chosen either by word or deed, other kings other than Jesus. But when you look at the, the Jews response to Pilate in John 19, They said, we have no King, but Caesar. And that was not true. That was, that was, that was, that was so not true. Uh, So, you know, God's chosen nation rejected and spurned her Messiah. And none of this catches God off guard. This doesn't surprise him. This is plan A. In fact, it's not even plan A. It is the plan period. Jesus told and, and he prophesied about this in Luke 19. Peter, just after Pentecost, check this out in Romans or excuse me in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but you disown the holy and righteous one and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death, the Prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. And Paul just lays it out at the end of chapter nine of Romans, um, in that ending section. And then he begins chapter 10, uh, with talking about the same stuff. And again, this is all part of God's plan. And, and I will say this, this. This is one of the things that just has blown me away in studying for this recently. So look at what all the nation Israel did to God and his son. And what does this say concerning God's love and patience and faithfulness? and how he won't completely, totally, or finally forsake his chosen people even after they rejected and crucified his son. I mean, it's it's no wonder that Paul would just stop and just start praising God with this incredible doxological response. And then... So th- they reject and they, they crucify him and, and then they continue to go on and try to earn salvation by works, by works of the law, instead of accept, uh, accepting God's free gift by faith. And remember, there's nothing lacking when it comes to the sovereign purposes and plans of our thrice holy God. So in the whole of, of chapter 10, Paul continues to show the futility of the Jews by hammering home with laser focus and precision, that God's universal method of saving sinners is by faith and faith alone, as we read earlier in Romans 3.28. And it's open to everyone. Romans 10.13 says, whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he's quoting, of course, from the book of Joel, Joel 2.32. Sinners are not saved on the basis of Their ethnicity or by their merits or works, but only by God's initial and effectual call. Say that again. Sinners are not saved on the basis of ethnicity or their merits or works, but only by God's initial and effectual call. Therefore, the gospel is preached to all and all are called to repent and believe. So here again. We see that great irreconcilable truth that salvation is completely a work of God, yet man is wholly responsible for the consequences of our rejection. So Romans 10, 16, we see that not all, uh, not all, uh, they, they wouldn't heed the good news. And remember what Scripture teaches, that that the offer was made through the Jews and then to them first and then to the Greek, and they, re- they, they rejected it. And part of the reason that they rejected it is because their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. So uh, Romans 10 ends in a similar way as, as Romans 9. Uh, multiple quotes from the Old Testament that the Jews would have known. And it brings us to chapter 11, opening with an almost, not almost, a rhetorical question. And it's a question that Paul was anticipating, knowing that they'd be thinking it. And it showed his master teaching skill. And, and this is the issue here. He says, he says this, I say then, God has not rejected his people. Has he? Now, I'm not going to get into this fully yet, just kind of a teaser. Notice the language. God has not rejected his people. His people, not Israel, not the nation Israel, not the Jews. He said his people. That's a possessive. His people. Rejected is the word apatheo. It means to thrust away, cast away. And remember Romans 1, right? What happens when God uh, gives over uh, uh it's it's a thrusting away, a final thrusting away. That's not this, but um uh, but it's it's the same concept it's it's bigger than just receiving it's stronger it's it's said in what's called the middle voice meaning it's thrusting away from oneself so in chapters 9 and 10 paul simply shows us the level of rejection and the condition so that leads to that obvious controversial or confusing like well what does that mean that god's rejected israel totally finally and that's what that's what we're going to get into in chapter 11 is 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 showing the present and the future condition of Israel. Uh, now there's three sections in chapter 11. We may extend it into four. Um, it just depends on what the, what, what the Lord will allow. And and as we're studying and unpacking this, you can be praying for us that, um, that, that God would uh, open our eyes to, to, Uh, these wonderful truths and that we would not stray from them. Uh, Again, trying to prove a point. Our point is just to glorify God and to, to share what, what we see and what we studied as far as what the Lord says in his word. Um, So that's the plan. And now you're semi caught up from uh, a very, very 35,000 foot high view uh, of the book of Romans and what's happening in this section of Romans nine through 11. So, uh, we look forward to this. You can be praying for us. We will be praying for you. And, um, as always we can be reached on our uh, social media accounts, uh, and via email. Um, so anyway, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening to me ramble on for half an hour. Um, although it was a blessing to me being able to study this. So I hope it was a blessing to you to hear it and we will talk soon. Go in the grace of God.